Last week I was having lunch with a new pastor in the area from Brownsburg, and we had not met before, so we were trying to figure out just some things that we had in common. I was hearing his story, he was hearing mine, and then I asked him how many children did he have? And he said, well, we actually started out with twins. And immediately we had a connection, because Sarah and I have twins, they're 19, his were a little younger. And we began to just kind of laugh a little bit about what life with twins is like. That immediately brings you a connection, because you know how challenging it is. In fact, whenever I meet a young couple who maybe just has baby twins, and they say, so you have twins, how was it? (laughs) My, My answer is always this. Year four was awesome. (laughs) And then they look at me like, exactly what I'm saying, the first four years are very, very difficult. But the fact of the matter is, is when I meet someone who has multiples, there's there's a connection. In fact, I'm sure you do the same thing when you're meeting someone new, you're having a conversation just to see how your lives overlap. In fact, there's people sitting next to you who you probably have more in common than you realize. For example, Show of hands. How many of you would describe yourself as a morning person? You just love the mornings. Let me see your hands. Awesome. How many of you think morning people are nuts? Let me see your hands. All right. How many of you would say, you know, I really enjoy a cup of coffee? Let me see your hands. All right. How many of you... um, we're cheering this last weekend for IU. Let me see your hands. Oh, standing up, okay. <laughs> they lost, you know. I mean, I'm just saying. Okay. How many of you were cheering for Notre Dame? Let me see your hands. All right. Ooh, someone's hissing. And then, how many of you are fans of Duke? Okay. You know they're the Blue Devils, Frank. Yeah. Okay, just saying. How many of you? Um, how many of you love winter? That's weird, right? <laughs> and then, how many of you speak two languages? All right. How many of you can barely speak English? All right. So, there's people sitting right next to you who have things in common, right? They'll, somebody will connect with this brother over here about IU and. Wisconsin fans, you won't talk to them for a while, and things of that sort. There's actually far more that we have in common than we may even realize. There is, in fact, one thing that we all have in common that you probably weren't necessarily thinking about this morning. And don't raise your hand on this question, but here's this thought. How many of you know someone who's died? You see, Despite all the things that make us unique and things that make us different, we all live with the reality of death. It's interesting, we try and prevent it, we try and delay it at funerals, we at times try to minimize it and even sometimes try and sanitize it, but the fact remains, death is common and death is tragic. It's it's a part of what it means to be a human being. In fact, even if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you don't necessarily agree with everything that I believe, at least we could start from this standpoint that death is real and death is bad. 
Surely you would agree with that. So today is Easter Sunday. It's a day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, the moment when he was raised from the dead, and this is, frankly, the most important Sunday of the entire calendar year. Around the world, Christians will rejoice on this day, but do you know why? The answer relates to our common problem of death. You see, what we celebrate on Easter Sunday is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ set in motion the defeat of the greatest, most common, and most unavoidable problem that every human being faces, namely death. The empty tomb declares the death of death. And Easter Sunday announces that death has been defeated. So from 1 Corinthians 15, what I want to do today is to briefly help you understand the problem of death and to see it from the vantage point of death's history, its scope, and its future. So beginning in verse 21, we see the history of death. The text says, by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Now, we're sort of dropping into 1 Corinthians. You need to know that this book was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of believers in the city of Corinth about 20 to 25 years after the death of Jesus. Part of the reason why he writes 1 Corinthians 15 is that there are some believers who are confused as the as to the connection between Jesus' resurrection and what happens to those who have died and what will happen in their future. And there were some who were suggesting that Jesus' resurrection was only about him and had nothing to do with human beings. And that philosophy, according to the Apostle Paul, would gut the hope of Christianity. And so he writes to them in order that they might understand that Christ was actually the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. In other words, the empty tomb outside of the city of Jerusalem from which Jesus came out is only the beginning of what is yet to come. Now, in order to understand this idea of resurrection, we have to start from the beginning of time because death has a history. 1 Corinthians 15 says, for by a man came death. That man was Adam. And then he contrasts that man, Adam, who brought death with another man who brought resurrection. That man, obviously, is Jesus. So why does Paul say that by a man came death? Well, really, the story of Easter begins all the way in the Garden of Eden, all the way in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And we learn in that beginning narrative that God created the world. And he set a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, and they lived in this beautiful garden. They enjoyed unfettered access with God. They fellowshiped with him. They were sinless. They were naked, and they were not ashamed. It was, in a word, perfect. Everything about the garden was perfect. However, that wouldn't last very long. You see, God set the boundaries for their behavior. He did so because he's the creator and they're his creatures. He set a tree in the middle of that garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and this tree was a boundary marker that established that God as the creator has the right to set the standards for morality as what people should do and what they shouldn't do. That tree and its 
position in the garden and the prohibition against it was a constant reminder that Adam and Eve were not autonomous. They can't just do whatever they want. And the reason is, is because they're creatures. So that tree was a constant reminder that someone else is in charge. Genesis 3 tells us that at some point, Satan, in the form of a serpent, came and tempted Eve with the fruit of that tree, telling her that if she ate of it, that her eyes would be opened and she would be like God, knowing good and evil. The essence of that temptation was that Eve was missing out. There was something else that she didn't have that she could have, and even though it was outside of the boundaries of what God had allowed for her, that she really needed that. By the way, that's the essence of temptations for you and for me. That there are things that we are still yet missing. This fear of missing out is the essence of what temptation is. The Bible tells us that Eve and Adam ate from that forbidden tree. They disobeyed God's command and the effect was disastrous. Sin immediately entered the world and the effect was that everything changed. Adam and Eve suddenly knew that they were naked. They they felt the shame, they hid, they took fig leaves and fashioned some sort of clothing together. They hid themselves when God came in the garden and then when he confronts them about their actions, He levies multiple consequences upon them and the entire created order. God kills the first animals and fashions clothing for them. And as a result of what happened by Adam and Eve, everything in the world was now negatively impacted. Work was now hard. Childbearing was painful. Marriage would be difficult. And they were banished from the garden. That intimacy that they experienced with their creator was gone. And then if you read on in Genesis, you'll find that it's only in the next generation as they bear children that the first murder happens. The created order had been compromised. Brokenness was a part of now what it means to be human. And the greatest example of this brokenness is death. It is the ultimate expression of what is wrong with the world. Death is the direct consequence of the violation of God's perfect righteousness. Death is a statement, it's a warning that something is wrong with the world and that disastrous consequences happen when creatures try to usurp the Creator's authority. So when you think about death, realize that death has a history. And it started by a man named Adam, and by this man came death. That's the history. Secondly, the scope. Verse 22 says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. What does it mean that in Adam all die? Well, Romans 5 helps us to understand a little bit of what it means. The Apostle Paul writes these words, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. The text helps us to understand that sin comes in the world through Adam, death comes in because of sin, death spreads to every human being, and the effect is that Human beings are fundamentally broken. It means 
that rebelliousness is not just what we do. It's actually embedded into who we are as human beings so that we are natural born sinners. To be a human is to be a sinner. From the very beginning of life, no one needed to teach you how to be selfish. No parent needed to sit their child down and say, now look, when kids don't do the things that you want them to do, or they take your toys, the key word to use is mine. Let's practice it, shall we? Say it loudly, mine, good. Say it louder, mine, good. Say it meaner, mine, good job. No one needs to practice the kids help, no one needs to help your kids practice know how to do that. No one needed to tell your kids, when someone does something you don't like, take your hand and hit them. Let's practice, shall we? Grit your sister, here she is, let's try it. No one, no one does that. At least not correctly or legally. <laughs> Instead, it's a part of who we are. If you're a new parent, congratulations. Having children's a wonderful thing. That little baby that you have in that carrier, sweet, cute, little monster, and you will see it <laughs> very soon. Even if you're not a Christian, you know this to be true. Somewhere in your heart is a really dark place where dark thoughts, dark desires, dark words, like stuff comes out and you're like, where does that come from? You can't be a human being without experiencing the brokenness in the world all the time. I mean, just this weekend I was getting some groceries from Target, my, my phone rang, I had my trying to do all this stuff, open my car door, get my things in, and my car door next to an empty parking space was open for like 3.25 seconds, and someone was like, because they wanted my door closed, and so I was like, who are you? And I closed my door, and this person in a vehicle, license plate number, no, I'm just kidding, pulls in, and I'm frustrated because this person won't wait 3.25 seconds till my door is going to be closed. And she's, frustra oops, she's frustrated with me <laughs> because she can't get to Target fast enough. I, I, you can't go to a grocery store without bumping into the brokenness of the world. doesn't matter who you are, what nationality you are, where, what country you hail from how old you are, what language you speak, there are two very important realities about what it means to be human. Number one, we are all sinners, and number two, we will all eventually die. That's what we all share in common. Death and sin are absolutely linked together. You know something is not right about the human race. There are implications of this. First, it means that there are no perfect people in the world. If I would have asked you at the very beginning about what you have in common, if I would have said, who's perfect, raise your hands, nobody would have or should have raised their hand. Why? Because the Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As well, this means that sin has affected absolutely everything. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. It means not only death at the end, but that death is embedded into every aspect of our culture. The good gifts that God gives us, like words, they, they get embedded with death, or marriage gets embedded with death, or relationships get embedded with death, or immoral behavior, or deceitful motives, or self-centered living. Death is all over the place. It's not just the end of life, but also it's embedded in the fabric of all of what it means for us to be human. While we were away on vacation, our twin boys were home, and 
Savannah and Sarah were with me, and we received a little bit of a panic call from one of our boys who were at home, and I, Sarah took the call, I saw the look on her eyes, and I was like, what? And Savannah has a fish, it's a blue beta, her first pet. And Sarah looked at me and mouthed the words, the fish is dead. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, no. Like, I, like I don't wanna have to explain this to her. Sarah hung up the phone, she's like, what do we do? I said, here's what we do. We tell those boys to go down to Petco and find a blue <laughs> beta fish, and we have them take the dead one out and put the new one in, clean up the tank, we'll be good to go. Three bucks solved, right? That's what I wanna do. And Sarah's like, you, 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 we can't do that. I'm like, oh yes, we can. It's easy, it's cheap. I mean, this is, she'll never know. And she said, Mark, we have to help our little girl understand that things die. Like, no, we don't. <laughs> and we did. The fact of the matter is, is that death is a part of the equation of life. Pets die. Something's wrong with the world. And every one of us have to deal with death at lots of levels. You've got to think about what happens when you die. What will what will happen to you after you die? That's what Easter Sunday is all about, that particular issue. So death has a history, death has a scope. So far it's been all bad news. Here comes the good news, death also has a future. The Bible tells us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave had sweeping implications. And Easter Sunday, in effect, announces that death the greatest enemy of humanity has been defeated. For as by a man came death, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. So he's comparing, Adam brought death, Christ brings life through the resurrection. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Those who are in Adam, they all die. That's all of us. Those who are in Christ, those who put their trust in him, they shall be made alive. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, Paul says this in the book of Ephesians chapter two, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, we were in a hopeless spot. And then the Bible says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means that you have looked to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. It means that you know that you're a sinner and that you cannot self-atone. You can't do anything in order to wipe the slate clean of your sins. 
It means that you believe that you're saved by grace, that God will take the death of Jesus and count it for your own. It means that you believe that Jesus became your sacrifice so that when he died, God counts his death as yours, and it also means that when he rose, God counts his resurrection as signaling that there's something different about you. To be in Christ means that you share everything that Jesus has. What belongs to him belongs to you. His death is your death, and his life is your life. It means that as Jesus is raised from the dead, that it's not just about him being taken out of the tomb, it's about every person who trusts in him being raised in the future, but also experiencing something powerful now. The resurrection of Christ not only signals the defeat of death for him, but it signals the defeat of death for all who count themselves to be in Christ. Verse 23, It says, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So Christ is only the first of those who are to be raised from the dead. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The Bible tells us that there is coming a day of resurrection when every believer in Jesus will be raised from the dead and welcomed into eternal glory and rest. The Bible tells us that there is coming a day when God will restore everything that's broken in the world. There will be no more loss, no more crying, no more pain, no more sin. He will take the world and restore it back to its original state in the garden where once and for all death and sin will be defeated. So what we talk about today and Easter Sunday is merely a foretaste of what is yet to come for those who trust in Jesus. The resurrection of Christ is the definitive statement that the future of death and the future of sin is certain. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you know what that means for you? It means that this is a great day of victory, a day day of celebration, a day when we remember and commemorate that the greatest enemy of mankind, the great spoiler of the earth, has been defeated by Christ. It is a day to remember that God is for us because of Jesus. And that means that if this last year has been filled with all kinds of sorrow or difficulty, it means that you remember that that's a part of the brokenness of the world and yet Jesus defeated even that. If in front of you over the next number of months are some scary or frightening sort of news potentials, Remember what this day is all about, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just simply the beginning, that the empty tomb just outside of Jerusalem was only the start, that you have not seen anything yet until he opens all the graves of those who know him and resurrects everyone who's put their trust and hope in Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, it also means not only about something about your future, but it also means that you have power to walk in newness of life now. Because in a spiritual sense, it means that by the Holy Spirit, we are to count ourselves or to consider ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. 
What that means is that every time that you choose to do what's right when you could do what's wrong, you are embracing, yes, Jesus is victorious. When you use a kind word, when you could have used a hurtful word, you're saying, yes, Jesus is victorious. When you choose a path of purity, when you could have chosen immorality, you're in effect saying, yes, Jesus rose again from the dead. When you take a home and you, you, you incorporate the beautiful words of Jesus into that home and you make your life and your home and your marriage or your singleness a picture of what it means to follow Jesus, you in, our, in effect are signaling, my king has won victory. It means that when you pull up into Target <laughs> and someone leaves their door open for 3.25 seconds that you wait and are kind and gracious lest someone use you as a sermon illustration, or <laughs> when that doesn't turn out very well, that you deal with the internal bitterness in your heart and you lay it at the feet of your Savior knowing that I've been impatient too. It means an empty tomb, that there's victory even now. And finally, it means that if you're not a Christian, if you've not turned from your sins and put your faith in Christ, I want to remind you, friend, that you know the world is broken and you know there are things in your heart that are scary. And you also know that one day you're going to die. And my question for you is what do you do about what's inside you and what your future has for you? And I hope that today maybe you're getting it, like suddenly your mind begins to put things together that's not been put together before, and you begin to see the connection between the resurrection of Christ and what God is doing in the world, and my question to you is, why would you not, instead of looking to yourself to try and fix what's wrong with you, because that hasn't worked, want to instead be done with yourself and say, Jesus, I need you to take over my life. I need the resurrection power of Christ to live in through me. I'm done with me. I made a mess of my life. I'm going to choose to put my faith in Jesus. I want to receive Christ. My question is, why not come to him? Why not receive him today? It's, it's not by accident that you're here on this incredibly important Sunday. And friend, we, we share a common enemy. We share the common problem of brokenness and sin. And yet what I want you to share in, if you're not a Christian today, is in the grace and mercy and forgiveness and hope that comes through a relationship with Jesus. There is nothing that you've done that should cause you to say, I can't be forgiven. Jesus defeated death so that there's nothing that you can't bring to him and say, I need your help. I want this to be the day when you found life and when everything about you changed from the inside out. I want for us to be able to meet in the new heaven and the new earth and for you to be able to say, Easter Sunday 2016, that's when it happened. Blew my mind and changed my heart. Jesus came and everything changed. 
You see, if you and I started a conversation, it, it wouldn't be very long until we could find some kind of things that we had in common. But you know the one thing I'd want to have in common with you more than anything else is that we share a common belief in Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that's what this day is all about. Easter signals the death of death through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And more than anything else that we could have in common, I'd want for us to share in the beautiful reality of what it means to be a sinner who's been saved by grace. I want you to know the resurrected and returning Savior who's changed my life. His name is Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, would you now by your Holy Spirit help us to know how we ought to apply what we've heard today. For those who know you, that the resurrected power of Christ might change their conversations, their attitudes, even behaviors in the next week, we, we ask for mercy. And Father, for those today who would not call themselves Christian, what a privilege that they would come on this Easter Sunday, and God, I ask that even now they might reach out to you and simply say, God, I'm a sinner, you know it, and I'm done with running my own life. I turn from my self-centered ways, and I want to receive Christ. I put my faith in him, and God, that today people might be moved from darkness to light, from death to life. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that this day is a day in which we can celebrate your work on our behalf. We bless you and are so grateful that the tomb is empty and that you are alive. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.